You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? The following podcast is a production of the network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Welcome to the Herd and Ten podcast. Here's your host, Jake Fertinsky. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Herd and Ten podcast. I'm your host, Jake Fertinsky. You can find me on Twitter at jfortinskynfl. You can also check out any of our dedicated social media accounts at Herd in 10 for daily Buffalo Bills news. That's right. If this weekly show isn't enough, check out our Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook pages for constant updates on what is going on in Buffalo Bills County or world or whatever you want to call it. Again, I've been saying this almost every episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate a five-star review. So please hit that five stars. Give us that five-star review if you're listening to it, if you like the show. So let's get right into this episode. There is a ton to unpack. Our previous episode came out just before all this huge Bills news with re-signings and and different trades and, and a whole slew of different things. And I want to try to cover all of that in this episode. Now, I'm not going to talk about the draft at all because in the second half of this episode, we're going to be having on a draft analyst to discuss possibilities in the draft, who the Bills should be looking at, and all those sorts of things. So wait till then for draft-related content. In this part of the episode, we're only going to cover what the Bills have actually accomplished so far in this offseason and some potential players that they're still maybe interested in. So let's start with the free agent signings. There's only been two. Wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders and punter Matt Hack. So, interestingly, they let go John Brown. I talked about this last week. I wasn't surprised. I thought that they were going to hopefully get to some sort of restructure. It appears that probably John Brown... Didn't want to take that cut, didn't want to. So he said, you know what? If you can't keep me, let me go. Now, he didn't end up signing for a whole lot of money. I think he's going to get, he has the potential to make five and a half million. And I mean, that's not much. So I I don't know exactly why he left. Maybe he thought he was going to get more in free agency and that didn't quite work out. Regardless, the Bills add veteran wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders, who I would argue is better than John Brown. Now he's a little older, but he's had some massive seasons. He would be a great third receiver. He will be a great third receiver for the Bills. He might end up being the fourth if Gabriel Davis takes another step forward. I like the deal. I think that it makes sense. 
The Bills didn't have to pay a whole lot of money. I believe it's $6 million on a one-year deal. So I love that. There, there's no future money being wasted away. There's no huge guarantees. And he's going to be a good receiver. So I really like the signing. And then you have the punter in Matt Hack. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He just signed a three-year deal. Now, what's interesting about that is I think a lot of people thought that Corey Bajorquez was going to stay with the Bills, especially given that he was a restricted free agent. But it appears that the Bills are going to let him go. And I would imagine it probably came down to money. I want to note Matt Hack's salary. He's guaranteed $1.2 million for a total of $2.25 million in his first year. And Bajorquez was going to get 2.133 as a restricted free agent tender. And it would have been fully guaranteed. So the Bills end up getting a punter who's, I would argue, comparable for significantly less. So I get it. They figured, whatever, we'll sign the guy $1 million guaranteed or $1.2 million guaranteed. It's no big deal. So I like the signing. I think he's going to be solid. I don't think the Bills really needed to spend a lot on a punter. And they've done that. They've locked in a punter for three years if they want. And it's a good signing. So I would say that the two free agent signings the Bills have made are really solid. And they don't break the bank. Now, the hope was that we'd bring in someone like a big defensive end that could really do some damage or really talented tight end. Now, they haven't done either of those things yet. However, I'm still of the belief that they're going to bring in a tight end. I've been delaying when I'm going to record this episode, and I'm recording this now on Thursday for for Friday, hoping that maybe by now the Bills would have made the move for tight end Zach Ertz from the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, that hasn't happened yet. I'm still hoping it will. I hope by the time this episode comes out, that the Bills have Zachers, I think that that would take the Bills offense to a whole new level. If you bring a guy like Zach Ertz in, I think you're now like immediately in that real Super Bowl contention. I think that they already are a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But if you sign a guy like Ertz, you're probably now the best offense in the league. You might say that's a hot take. I don't think it is. If you get a guy like Zach Ertz who... Yes, didn't have a good season last year, had some injury issues, but really the Eagles stunk. So I'll give him a pass there. But prior to that, he had some monster seasons. I believe two years ago, he had almost 1,200 yards. I think it was 1,160 or 1,163 yards. I don't have it in front of me. Amazing that I can even remember that. But he had about 1,200 yards receiving. This guy is a true top five tight end. And on a Bills offense with Josh Allen, I mean... Sky is the limit. So if you got a guy like Ertz, I think you honestly have the best offense in the entire NFL, even without a run game. Hopefully they go and get Ertz because I think that's a huge game changer. And it could be a trade. It could be they end up cutting him like the Eagles cut him and the Bills sign him. Ideally, I think it will be a trade situation because that would work for the Bills. They don't have to pay too much. They can give up a little bit for him. I think the Eagles really want to move on from him. Ertz wants to move on. He's asked to be able to go out and look for a trade partner. So he clearly wants out of Philadelphia. I think it would be a great move for the Bills. Now, I just want to note a couple other items. So the Bills have traded Lee Smith to the Atlanta Falcons. I believe it's for a 2022 seventh round pick. Not a whole lot, but who cares? Lee Smith sucks. 
I don't want him on the team. I don't think there's any listeners here that are big fans of Lee Smith. If you are, reach out to me. Let me know why, because I really, really don't like him. I think he's a terrible NFL player. I don't think he belongs in the NFL, and I'm so happy that he's finally gone. He's done with the Bills, whether he retires or we get a seventh-round pick and he goes to the Falcons. I don't care. I just want him gone, so I'm thankful that he's gone. Now, defensive tackle star Latulule, no surprise here. He's going to be returning for the 2021 NFL season. Tyler Matakiewicz has signed an extension. Um, They haven't provided all the details about it, but it sounds like the extension was done to lower his cap hit this season, so makes perfect sense. Mario Addison has also restructured his contract. Vernon Butler has restructured his contract. Mitch Morse, which I believe I talked about last week, has restructured his contract. Now, there's also some signings that the Bills have made to some of their unrestricted free agents. Offensive right tackle, Daryl Williams, great signing there. John Feliciano signed. Matt Milano signed. Andre Smith signed. Levi Wallace signed a tender. Or, sorry, they didn't offer him the tender, thinking that he's not going to get anything in free agency. He didn't get anything in free agency, and now they locked him into a cheap deal. Ike Bodker, also guard, signed a tender. So I want to focus on some of the big ones. Matt Milano signs a great deal. I think he ended up signing for less than probably what he would have gotten on the open market. He clearly wanted to stay. He got $24 million guaranteed with a total possible value of $44 million. I mean, it's a great deal. I love the contract. I think it looks great. I think it's below market value. I honestly think he probably would have gotten 2 to $3 million more per season if he really pushed. I think it came out to somewhere in the $11 million range, if I'm not mistaken. And apparently he was looking for $13 plus million. He definitely could have gotten that, but he wanted to stay with Buffalo. And we see a similar story with John Feliciano signing a very reasonable deal. The deal is worth up to $17 million. I think it comes in to about a $7 million hit per year. That's great. Honestly, again, I think Feliciano probably would have gotten $8, $9 million a year. I don't know if he could have pushed that double-digit $10 million a year, but $8, $9 million a year. Again, so the Bills get him at a slight discount. And he specifically said that he signed with the Bills because he wants to stay in Buffalo. It wasn't just the money. He actually took less to stay in Buffalo. He's gone out and said that. Final one, which is my favorite signing, Daryl Williams. And I talked about this last week. you got to lock in that line. If you have a great left tackle and a great right tackle, I think your line can be solid and you you figure out the rest with, with guards and centers. Now, of course, the Bills have Mitch Morse in a center. They now have John Feliciano locked up at guard. They have another guard in Ike Bodker. Who knows what will happen, if he'll play or not. I don't know if it will be Cody Ford. I hope not. We'll see. As you know, I'm not a big fan of Cody Ford. Now, the Bills re-signed Darrell Williams to a three-year deal. The three-year deal with $14 million guaranteed. Maximum value of $28.2 million. Again, a great contract. It's averaging $9.4 million per year. How can you not be happy with that? You locked in a really good right tackle 
for nine for roughly nine million a year. That is a fantastic deal. I think the Bills saved a lot there. I think Daryl Williams could have been in that 12, 13 plus million a year. He's not old. He's a really good right tackle. He had an amazing season with the Bills. He had a high grade. He did everything he needed to do. He signed the one-year prove-it deal with the Bills for like nothing, played unbelievably well, and now he gets paid. And he's not getting paid a ton of money. It's a fair contract. It's a cap-friendly contract. It's a team-friendly contract. I'm, I'm getting so used to saying that. Team-friendly contracts. That seems to be the lesson learned in this offseason is that having a really good team, having a team that has the potential to go to the Super Bowl, having a team with a great quarterback, with great receivers, and of course, a great management and coaching team makes a huge difference. It means players actually want to stay. Players never wanted to stay in Buffalo. We used to have to sweeten every deal. We don't have to do that anymore. You signed Matt Milano, who was the top linebacker in free agency this year, or was going to be, signed for below market value. You have an offensive guard in John Feliciano, who had a good, not great season, but showed versatility and can play center as well, signed below market value. And you have Daryl Williams, who again was going to be one of the top few free agent right tackles, and he signs for below market value. It's not that these guys aren't getting paid a lot of money. They are, but they could have made more on other teams, but they wanted to stay in Buffalo. They wanted to be a part of a good franchise, an organized franchise with a great coaching staff and a great GM in Brandon Bean. Brandon Bean has really turned this ship around. Of course, Sean McDermott is a key piece in that. But when you look at the signings, he just finds ways to make things work. Let's take a look at Kansas City right now. The Kansas City Chiefs have had to dump a ton of their top players, a ton of their top talent, because they haven't been able to manage the budget. They had to reduce their salary cap. The Bills haven't really had to do that. They've managed to convince all or most of their veteran players that were making too much money to restructure their deals. And they've managed to convince their unrestricted free agents to sign for below market value to be a part of something special. It's amazing to see that that is still alive, that players still want to play somewhere where they can win and have success. They want to make a lot of money, but they also want to win. I just want to mention a couple other items here, which are players that left the Bills and signed elsewhere. We have Pro Bowl returner Andre Roberts. No surprise there. He signed a deal with the Houston Texans. You have Ty Nisecki, who signed a deal with the Cowboys. No surprise. I mean, I would have loved to keep him, especially because he can play left tackle or right tackle. Is a really solid veteran. He's a really good depth tackle option but again it's just and I talked about this the other week he's a bit of a luxury so unless he was willing to sign way below market value the bills were not going to be able to keep him as well he is from Dallas so I think he's happy to go back home you have John Brown who of course the bills released I believe it's because they just couldn't come to an agreement where John Brown would take a significant pay cut 
He goes to the Raiders, signs for $5.5 million. Good luck to him, honestly. I loved John Brown, but it's a bit of a screw you because he could have stayed. I'm sure he could have taken less. He refuses to lower his cap hit, leaves, goes to the Raiders, doesn't get paid more, and now he's part of the Las Vegas Raiders. Really? That's where you're going? You're leaving Josh Allen for what? You're definitely not going to get the same type of passing and quarterback play in Las Vegas. So good luck, John Brown. We will miss you. I did really like you as a player, but look, sometimes things don't work out. Honestly, I'm kind of happy that we got Emmanuel Sanders. I do think he's better than John Brown. He's also faster than John Brown. It should be noted that he was the 10th fastest receiver in the NFL last year. Kind of interesting to hear that. Final player so far that has been released and signed by another team, Quinton Jefferson, gets signed also by the Las Vegas Raiders. Good luck. See ya, pal. So, the Bills have a lot of players left that they need to be able to sign. Now, I don't know which guys are going to get signed. You have a whole slew of guys. Matt Barkley, Taiwan Jones, TJ Yeldon, Devontae Freeman, Isaiah McKenzie. The list just goes on. To me, there's only really one interesting player here that I would really want to keep, and that's Isaiah McKenzie. You all know by now I'm a huge fan of Isaiah McKenzie. I was talking to my brother about this just last night, that he's probably not going to get as much as he's hoping for in free agency. He is probably looking for that two and a half, three million plus per year. And the challenge is, is he's just a fourth or fifth receiver He's obviously a little small, and he's an unproven returner. The only reason Andre Roberts signed a deal immediately is because he's a Pro Bowl returner. Isaiah McKenzie could be a Pro Bowl returner, but no team is going to pay him based on that he could be. They're going to pay him for what he can do right now and what he has proven. He has proven that he can be a reliable fourth or fifth receiver and may be able to return kicks. So I think, or I hope, and I hope my brother's correct, that he isn't able to get what he's hoping for. And he signs another league minimum deal with the Bills, just like a one-year deal. And if he does a really good job and he wins the returner job and does a good job of it, then next season he can get paid either by the Bills or another team. I think he still has one more year where he's got to prove that he has something more than that fourth or fifth depth receiving option ability. He's got to show something more. I love him, but there's no way I would be willing to pay him two and a half plus million a year. I think on a minimum deal, if he does a good job, maybe next season the Bills could look to sign him to a two or three year deal, but I just don't see that happening this season. So hopefully the Bills can keep him because if they can't, they are going to have to find a returner and that might come through the draft. I was talking to my brother about this last night as well. It, It was a combination of talking about the wide receivers, but it was also talking about cornerbacks and that the Bills really need to look to the draft to, to draft a really top-end cornerback because at that point in time, the Bills were not signing Levi Walls. Since then, they have signed Levi Walls, but I still believe that the Bills need to draft a cornerback. And if they do, maybe that cornerback can actually be a returner because that's something my brother brought up. That cornerback can do a couple different things. If the cornerback's really good and starts, maybe you don't want him as your returner. But if he's going to be a 1A, 1B type option 
opposite Tredavious White with Levi Wallace, he can also return. So maybe they don't keep a guy like Isaiah McKenzie and they allow a draft pick to fill that gap. So we'll see what happens. But regardless, there's still a long way to go in the offseason. And the Bills have already done some damage. They've done a really good job at restructuring a lot of deals. They've brought in some really good veteran players. And of course, there's still that opportunity to bring in superstar tight end Zach Ertz, which I hope by the time this episode comes out, the Bills have landed him. So we'll see what happens, but we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be talking all about the NFL draft with Matt Valdivinos of Pro Football Network. We'll be right back. Thanks. It's the gift-giving season, and now there's a great card game that gives you action on any televised football game you watch. Just add your family, friends, and fun, and you have The Drive. Playthedrive.com. If you miss The Drive, you miss the party. Playthedrive.com. Hey, Bills Mafia. This has been a crazy year with a lot of changes. Good changes like the Patriots not sitting at the top of the AFC East. But this year has certainly brought some challenges and has made it harder for us all to connect with our fellow sports fans. If you are a big sports fan like me, then you need to join this new sports fan community called Playing the Field. Playing the Field has developed a dating and community app centered around our sports fan lifestyle. It is a great sports-focused interface from their profile trading cards in your favorite team's colors down to their bubblegum in-app currency. The best part is that right now, while they're still in beta, it is 100% free to join. And you also get extra in-app bubblegum that you can trade in when their premium features get added in a few months. Go to playthefielddating.com and sign up now to buddy up, recruit teammates, or find your MVP. Also, be sure to check out their podcast, The Fan Experience, where they interview sports fans just like you and me and let them share their fan experiences. The Fan Experience is live Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Or you can catch the replays on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can't have a team without a mate. Go and find one now at playthefielddating.com. Welcome back to the Herd and 10 podcast. I am joined by Matt Valdivinos today. And we mentioned earlier that he's a draft analyst for Pro Football Network. So he's the guy that you come to when you have any questions related to the draft. Now, I am going to have some other questions more specific to the Bills. But Matt, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find your stuff, whether it's on Twitter or Pro Football Network? Well, I mean, first and foremost, ideally, um, you guys will follow me on Twitter at MB Scouting. Uh, that's where I do a lot of the, almost all of my work, uh, everything that I ever do, whether it's writing videos, um, audio with, you know, podcasts or radio spots, you can always find that out uh, on my Twitter. We're hoping to get 5,000 followers before the draft. That would be huge. Uh, I also write for Pro Football Network. I do mock drafts for them. I'm a member of the board for the mock draft simulator, where weekly we, you know, update the board. 
update the team needs, look at what's going on. We have a busy week with free agency and the team needs. Uh, so I do that as well. And I, I love all of the stuff we produce over at Pro Football Network. So go check out any of the writers from there. Uh, and then I also have a YouTube channel at MV Scouting. I'm working on getting the graphics game up a little bit uh, so that the quality of the videos are, are a little bit better. But we are hoping to get that going as a consistent thing here in the next month or so. Yeah, for sure. Look, you put out a ton of good stuff. Just just looking at your stuff, you got draft profiles on a ton of players. So you know your stuff. Before we jump into the draft, I want to talk specifically about your thoughts on what the Buffalo Bills have done now over the offseason. So, of course, free agency just opened up. The Bills have made some moves, mainly just retaining a lot of their unrestricted free agents. Do you have... Any take on that? Have the Bills done what they needed to do now? Of course, they've kept some guys, but they haven't necessarily brought in any big names yet. Do you think that we should expect them to? Or is this just more the Bills are trying to stay similar to what they were last season? Well, with a team like Buffalo, I mean, this is a team that has a, you know, borderline MVP caliber quarterback on the team. And last year, we're one of the best teams in the AFC. So I think the idea that, you know, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott want to kind of move forward with is keeping what they're keeping the core of the roster intact, you know, obviously keeping your superstars happy and Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, um, but but just kind of keeping the same pace moving forward that they were last year. I, I think they want to field the same kind of team. They want to continue winning games with regularity. And so I think retaining that talent is huge. Obviously, we saw. John Brown, you know, is no longer with the team. And I thought that was kind of interesting. But my guess is that they'll probably bring in someone to replace him with a similar skill set. I do think they want to see Gabriel Davis, you know, move up in that wide receiver pecking order. But overall, I didn't expect them to make a ton of big moves anyways, because I do think that they're one of the five to 10 best teams in the NFL anyways. And they really don't need to go out and, and try and make a huge move to, to get over that hump, because I think they're already competitive enough. They're already talented enough to compete with the top teams in the AFC. And so I think when you're looking at them, they didn't go into this offseason saying, okay, we need to make a bunch of moves to take a couple steps forward. It's we need to remain where we're at and get better throughout our roster, but without sacrificing the mortgage or the future or anything like that. So you brought up something interesting there. You brought up the fact that the Bills did, in fact, finish their term with John Brown. And I guess the hope is that Gabriel Davis is going to step up. But that brings me to my next point because the receiving core is pretty good, but there was something missing last season and there's now going into this offseason still something missing. And that's the tight end. Dawson Knox, and I've said this now for a few weeks, has not been what the team has needed. And based on reports that have come out this week, the Bills were apparently close to even landing Rob Gronkowski before he then decided to signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for one more year for this upcoming season. So clearly the Bills are interested in signing a quality tight end. If they're trying to get Gronkowski to leave Tampa and come to Buffalo, they're clearly interested. Do you think or do you expect the Bills to sign a big-time veteran tight end, even though a lot of them are now off the board? Jonu Smith, I had talked about last week, he's now off the board. A lot of them have been signed. But do you think the Bills are still going to do that? Or are they going to be looking to the draft to bring in a tight end? I mean, given, yeah, with Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, both off the board, that's kind of, you know, the two top guys. Um, with the third guy, the third free agent 
um, being, I think, probably Gerald Everett from Los Angeles, uh, I think is kind of viewed as now the top guy on the market. But I would imagine, given Dawson Knox's skill set, they probably will just look towards the draft. And it's a good tight end draft. It's substantially better than we saw last year. Uh, there's a number of guys who you can bring in and are immediate impact playmakers as both a blocker and a receiver. Guys like Pat Fryermuth, um, I think, would be more than okay value with the Bills' first-round pick in that late first round. Uh, I, I'm going to have him as a first-round player. I love him a ton. I think with the hype that Kyle Pitts gets coming out of Florida, not a lot of people talk about how good Fryermuth is. Um, but, I mean, I think he's a guy that, that makes a ton of sense for what the Bills want. And because the Bills, like we said, they've, they've retained talent, they don't have a ton of just massive holes on the roster. So you can warrant taking a tight end in that first round, especially if it's someone like Pat, who whose well-rounded game kind of fits everything you do. Uh, a couple other guys in the draft too, Brevin Jordan, Hunter Long, Tommy Tremble, all guys who can play that in line, who can block. They allow Dawson Knox, who I, I think still is a great athlete and has upside as a receiver. Um, maybe gets him off of the line of scrimmage a little more, gets him in as a big slot, maybe even as a boundary threat, uh, where I think he fits a little bit better. And I do think they'll add a tight end. I think that's probably their, their biggest need. If you go with a guy like Pratt Fryermuth, you're getting in that tight end one. Dawson Knox now becomes that tight end two, where I think he fits well. But if you get a guy like Brevin Jordan, Hunter Long, Tommy Tremble, or even Gerald Everett, I think it's just kind of a, a tight end one A and one B, where maybe you don't have an elite talent on your roster, but you have two more than quality options. So I want to just break down a couple things that you mentioned here. One being, of course, if they go the veteran free agent route, they're probably only going to get a guy like you talked about, Gerald Everett, and you're looking at a 1A, 1B situation. But you're suggesting that maybe there's some guys in this draft that you feel could be a true number one receiving option as a tight end. Are these guys ready now or are they projects? Because we know the Bills right now, I, I would imagine, don't want to take on a project. These guys could come in and be a force immediately, correct? Yeah, the issue is, and, and not necessarily anything against these guys, but tight ends in general historically have a, a kind of a buffering period getting used to the NFL. We saw TJ Hawkinson was really, really good this past year, but struggled to find consistent production as a rookie. Um, same thing with a number of like the top 10 tight end guys. We George Kittle wasn't great right out the gate. Travis Kelsey wasn't amazing right out the gate. Um, it, there's always this kind of period of adjustment for tight end rookies in general. So it's pretty uncommon to find, you know, a rookie at tight end, regardless of the position you put them in, right? You can take a tight end real early. I mean, the Lions really didn't have anybody to take tight end snaps from TJ Hawkinson in his rookie year, and he still just wasn't uh, a superbly productive player. That's just the way the position goes. Um, not to say that they couldn't, that a guy like, Pat Fryermuth or Brevin Jordan couldn't be uh, a day one tight end impact playmaker, but I think it's um, a little foolish to just assume that they're going to come in and instantly be the, you know, the go-to tight end one that they want. I think Pat Fryermuth probably has the best chance of that just because I think his game is so well-rounded and, and projects so easily into the NFL that you see what he's going to do consistently. I think he projects kind of favorably to a guy like Hawkinson that even if he's not, an 850-yard receiver with eight touchdowns, maybe you're getting 600 yards, six touchdowns, and a really, really fantastic blocker. And that's enough to build on in the future to think he could be a great tight end moving forward. Um, I think Kyle Pitts is the only guy you kind of look at in this class and say, that's a guy who I think could be a, a truly dominant receiver from day one. But the odds of Kyle Pitts making it to the Bills pick is, is minuscule. 
Yeah, and that's the challenge with the Bills, right? Because they do have a really good receiving core. They don't necessarily need a guy like Kyle Pitts to just step in and be a star. Because really, that's not the concern with Dawson Knox. Of course, we expected that with his skill set and with his athleticism that he'd come in and be basically a star, especially after his rookie season, which looked really promising. But the Bills at this point, they don't need a star to come in as a tight end. They need a guy that's reliable. Like you talk about five, 600 yards, five, six touchdowns. They don't need something great. I mean, they have Stefan Diggs. They have a number one target. They have Cole Beasley, another number two target and the best slot receiver in the entire NFL. They also have Gabriel Davis, who's probably going to be better this year. They have Isaiah Hodgins, who didn't play last season as a rookie but may have a shot this year and he's got size so there's a lot of different options I just I think the Bills need to bring in a tight end and the guy doesn't have to be a star even if it's in the draft and the guy's a little bit of a project but he's good enough like you said to put up five six hundred yards and most importantly is consistent doesn't drop the ball a lot right doesn't have to make any spectacular catches but we can't have that player being a detriment to the offense we can't have them stalling drives the way we saw Dawson Knox do last season. And then, of course, the blocking aspect. Dawson Knox maybe doesn't have the blocking aspect that we need, and maybe there's a guy in there in the draft that we can get who's half decent at blocking, not great. They don't need a great player in any respect when it comes to the tight end, in my opinion. Now, there's another position here that we need to talk about, and it's on the offensive side of the ball. And that's the running back position. The Bills have used up some mid-round draft picks to take running backs the last few years. And they really haven't worked. Neither guy has really stepped up, both in Devin Singletary and, of course, in now second-year pro Zach Moss. We haven't seen a lot from either of those guys. So do the Bills do that again? Do they try to strike with a running back again in the draft? Maybe it's not in the first round, but maybe they want to use their second round pick because you talked about there aren't that many positions that they need to fill. So maybe they need to look at the running back. Is there anyone that you have in mind that you think could help the Bills and maybe it would lead to finally having that number one running back? I think with the Bills, I think if, if they're going to address the position at all, I do think that ideally, or not necessarily ideally, but it would make the most sense if you just go out and get a guy on day one uh, in the first round. A guy like Travis Etienne uh, or Javante Williams out of UNC, either of those guys, or Najee Harris if he's there too, I think just makes the most sense because I don't think the separation between any receiver you get on day two or day three, or sorry, any running back you get on day two or day three, I don't think they're going to be so much better than Zach Moss or Devin Singletary that it's worth using that draft capital on them. I think if you're looking for an upgrade at running back, the only real way you're going to find someone who's so much better than the guys the Bills already have is if you take a guy with that first round pick, which I don't hate because like I said, the team's roster is already good enough that they're going to be competitive. So getting a guy like Etienne or Javante Williams, who's a threat to score every time they run the football and provides a, a more consistent down to down play style than either Singletary or Moss does, I think would make a lot of sense. But otherwise I don't see the value in addressing the position other than that first round, just because I don't think you're getting a player who's so much better than Monster Singletary. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, do you use 
your first round pick to take a running back when there is some risk. We've seen that taking running backs in the first round, sometimes it doesn't pay off. Or more importantly, who are you giving up? What's that opportunity cost? Who are you giving up by taking that running back? Are we missing out on a great offensive lineman? Because really, I know the Bills have locked in most of that, but I would love to see them still take a lineman, uh, particularly an offensive lineman. I want Josh Allen protected in the best way possible. And I don't know if we should be spending our first round pick on a running back. But then again, there's the flip side, which is what you talk about. There's guys out there, Najee Harris, maybe if he slips, there's some of these good running backs that could come in, be great day one. And maybe all of a sudden the Bills offense isn't just a passing attack. Now there's a rushing attack. That would make the Bills offense significantly better because we, we have to look at how can the Bills make their offense better? And I see two positions, the tight end and the running back. My final question here is jumping to the defensive side of the ball because in my opinion, there might be some more holes there. I think there's a hole at cornerback, especially now we don't know what's going to happen, whether or not they're going to be keeping Levi Wallace. Of course, there's still the linebacker situation where, yes, they did re-sign Matt Milano, but Tremaine Edmonds hasn't become what we had hoped, which is that superstar middle linebacker. And then you have the defensive line who really struggled at times to get pressure. And the Bills haven't brought anyone in yet. We hope maybe they'd sign J.J. Watt. Maybe they'd bring in someone else, Carlos Dunlap. None of those things have happened. So you start to wonder, are the Bills going to spend another high pick on a defensive lineman like they did last season in Epinesa in the second round? Are they going to do something like that again? Or are they going to go and get a defensive tackle because Ed Oliver hasn't been the answer? Do you think there's some opportunities there where the Bills should be spending a high round pick, you know, a first or second round pick on a defensive player, maybe a cornerback? Well, so I'm a big AJ Epinesa fan. Uh, I was a huge fan of him coming out. So I think it is a little early to just assume they're they, the Bills are in a weird position with their defensive line, because I think it's a deep unit and it's got a lot of talent on it. It just lacks a lot of high end talent. Now, I was superbly high on Ed Oliver, and I still think he can be a phenomenal three-tech pass rusher, but I do think that they lack a space-eater kind of guy, um, a, a true nose tackle. I know Vernon Butler's there, um, but, but a guy who really you can play him on first downs is going to eat up two to three blocks, eat up a couple gaps, and let the rest of your, you know, you free up your linebackers, let your defensive ends make plays behind the line of scrimmage, and then take them off of the field on passing downs you can move a guy like AJ Epinesa inside with that Oliver at the one and now you have a very explosive pass rushing unit so I do think that would make a lot of sense and the cool part about adding a big nose tackle like that is their value is at an all-time low in terms of the draft capital teams are putting into them so you can get a guy like Tyler Shelvin you get a guy like Jordan Scott Osa Odigizua out of UCLA um, all guys who I think will be there probably on early day three that you can just use a pick on, and now you've filled a need on that defensive line. As far as the edge rushers go, uh, it's a little harder because I think if you're taking a rookie early, you're now pushing out one of those vets who's still a good quality player, um, like a guy like Trent Murphy, right? Someone who who should be getting snaps anyways because they're still a quality NFL player, but maybe doesn't have that elite pass rush upside that you would hope for. And Jerry Hughes is also well on the wrong side of 30. So there are questions i'm not 100 percent sure on what the bills are going to do but i do love the pass rushers that'll be available to them in that late first round guys like ronnie perkins i'm super super high on i'm a big patrick jones believer 
Um, I think Jalen Phillips is a good chance to be there. I think all three of those guys could be great picks for the Bills because all three of them provide that 10 to 12 sack upside that you're not getting from most of the rest, from most of the defensive ends in the Bills roster. Yeah, it's it's tricky, right? The the defensive line is a little tricky because the Bills have so much going on there. And like you talked about, mm-hmm. they really don't have any of that high-end talent. Of course, Jerry Hughes used to be that, but they really don't have anyone else. When you look around, there's really no one that's going to step up except for maybe Epinesa, right? He didn't get a lot of snaps last season, but maybe with, with an uptick in snaps, maybe he can do some damage. I'm thankful to know Trent Murphy is going to be gone. Um, I hope. I hope they don't keep <laughs> him. I'm personally not not a big fan of him. But then again, I understand the the argument there. It's it's really that mix, and that's really what the Bills have built that defensive line on is that no one gets too much time, so everyone gets enough rest. I think that's really the Bills' way of doing it is having multiple guys that are good but not great, and letting them feed off of each other. Of course, it hasn't quite worked the way they'd hoped, but I think it's also because sometimes you're hoping a guy's going to step up and do something special, and maybe they just haven't seen that yet, but hopefully we'll see that in the next season. I do like your take about the defensive tackle because prior to, to you speaking there, during my question, I honestly didn't really feel confident in the Bills taking a defensive tackle. I'm so tired of defensive tackles showing up and, and not being what we hope. <laughs> But when you talk about it, it makes perfect sense because it, like you said, the motivation to get these guys is at an all-time low. A lot of teams are not placing a priority on a defensive tackle, which means you might be able to get a quality guy, like you said, in day three. If the Bills can get a really solid defensive tackle that can pretty much start day one and drafting him in the third, fourth, fifth round, I'd be really open to that. I would love something like that because I think that that would be really good for the Bills. I don't think the Bills have an answer at defensive tackle. And I think that maybe getting a guy in the mid to late rounds who can play might do the trick. Like the Bills have done this before where they bring in a guy, there isn't high expectations, and he takes advantage of that. The high expectations is sometimes what bogs guys down. I feel like that's maybe even what's bogged down a guy like Ed Oliver, he's had such high expectations as a top 10 pick. Sometimes it's a little too much. So it might be great to bring in a guy who's a later round, got to prove himself, and he ends up having a really good season. So that could be a great idea. I, I love that suggestion from you. So yeah, I think that pretty much covers everything I've needed to cover it. It definitely gives, I think, our listeners an idea of all the different options the Bills have. And really shows us that if you want a top-end talent, when you're looking at running back, when you're looking at tight end, it's probably going to come day one. If you're looking at some of those other positions, like a defensive tackle, maybe even a cornerback, you may be able to snatch up a guy in the later rounds and still get good value. So I don't think it's impossible that the Bills trade down. I don't know if it's likely, but it's certainly possible that they could do that. But look, Matt, I appreciate you coming on. I think you have a ton of great knowledge. I think we'd love to have you on again closer to the draft because the amount of knowledge you bring to the table is just fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's awesome. I love the Bills. I love everything, you know, Bills fans stand for and do. So it was definitely a blast to come on.
The NFL is entertainment, and that's how it should be treated. Check out the Deer Path Nation podcast with Ray Route as I navigate my way through the biggest NFL stories. My lighthearted, comedic approach to the game of football, the players, and all the teams around the NFL provides my listeners with that much-needed distraction from real life. I host engaging guests that are just as passionate about football as I am. Let's throw professionalism out the window. This isn't serious football content. This is just premier sports entertainment. You can find me on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, RayRoute.com, and the Dean Blundell Network. Hey, it's Ryan from the PP1 Podcast, a show about the Vancouver Canucks, but not just about the Canucks. Join myself and Ted Wong every single week for a seriously unserious chat about hockey, questionable food takes, we sprinkle in some dad jokes, and keep you updated on shows that ended well over 10 years ago, like Breaking Bad. Seriously, Ted, when are you going to be done watching that? We bring in guests on the regular like former NHLers, head coaches, and even that guy that pulled off the Michigan. Yep, Mike Lake. Check out our cool swag on our Instagram and Twitter feeds. And if you're lucky, we might just give away the odd prize or two. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, and on deanblundell.com slash podcast. And hopefully, your headphones. It'll be the second best thing you do today. You know, after that cup of coffee. 